Our scripture reading uh, for the sermon comes from Proverbs chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me. We'll look together at Proverbs 8. And uh, our reading will start at verse 32. The sermon text is verses 35 and 36. These are the words of God. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. My soul longs for your salvation. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you so much for giving us your word. We acknowledge that by your providence, you've caused us to be born in a time when Uh, The printed copies of Your Word are available widely. And we thank You for that. And and we do confess, O Lord, um, that wisdom comes from You. It cannot be found apart from You. And we come this morning as those who seek Your wisdom. Help us, Lord, to know ourselves and to know You and to know this world that You've created so that we might live faithfully in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and we reflect on the human responsibility to make and preserve life. Um, We have in past years, last year we looked at Psalm 139, and developing a theology of, of life as it begins in the womb. Uh, Before that, we talked about Margaret Sanger and the gospel that she presented, which is totally contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Today, I wanted to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 8. This is um, a proverb that really stuck out to me uh, uh, some time ago as I was working through the Proverbs uh, to commit them to my own heart, to grow in wisdom. And it stuck out as I read it because... At the end, he says, all who hate wisdom love death. We remember from this proverb that the preservation of life is inseparable from obedience to the law of God. I want you to think about that. The preservation of life is inseparable from obedience to the law of God. Consider... God's words in Deuteronomy chapter 30, which we read just some months ago. Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, 
by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. God set before Israel a decision. There are two paths. One offers you life and one offers death. If you walk in covenant faithfulness to me, you will inherit life. You will live in the land. If you defy me, you will inherit death. The preservation of life is inseparable from obedience to the law of God. No individual, no family, no community, no state, no nation will be built on the preservation of life apart from the application of God's standards, period. Yeah, this is exactly where the West and the United States stands today. Why is there so much death? You abandon God's standards and your inheritance is death. I want to give you a little story. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, this will, some of this will be old hat. Um, in 1933, a group of about 34 men got together and they drew up a document and produced it. That document is called the Humanist Manifesto. There are 15 tenets, 15 confessions, as it were, in the Humanist Manifesto. This manifesto was signed by 34 men who were mostly university professors, psychologists, and Unitarian ministers. John Dewey among the most notable. What they did in the Humanist Manifesto is they announced their concerted effort to transform Western culture. Now, I'm not going to give you all 15 of the tenets. I encourage you to look at them and read them. But I do want to give you just a few. First, religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Fundamental tenet. In fact, their motto is good without God today. The third tenet, holding an organic view of life, humanists find that the traditional dualism of mind and body must be rejected. You don't have a soul. All you are is atoms. All of your love, all of your joy, all of your guilt, all of this can be explained in biochemistry. You don't have a soul. Fourth, humanism recognizes that man's religious culture and civilization, as clearly depicted by anthropology and history, are the product of a gradual development due to his interaction with his natural environment and with his social heritage. Why are men religious? That's just their attempt to explain the natural world around them. But we're smarter now. Sixth, we are convinced that the time has passed for theism. 
deism and modernism and the several varieties of new thought. Fourteenth, the humanists are firmly convinced that existing acquisitive and profit-motivated society has shown itself to be inadequate and that a radical change in methods, controls, and motives must be instituted. A socialized and cooperative economic order must be established to the end that the equitable distribution of the means of life be possible. I don't think I have to explain to you what that means. Everything must be socialized. The goal of humanism is a free and universal society in which people voluntarily and intelligently cooperate for the common good. Humanists demand a shared life in a shared world. That's 1933. Humanist Manifesto 2 was produced in 1973. And the third version was produced in 2003. Now the signers have expanded from 34 in the beginning to multiple hundreds. Pushing for a godless, socialized world. Why is this important? Because humanism now permeates every state institution. If you can go and look at Joe Biden's cabinet and find one who is not a humanist at heart, I'll give you a quarter. And their stated ambition is to remove religion from the public square. Public enemy number one is a Christian, especially one with a voice. Why is this a cause for concern? Because the man, the family, the community, the state, the nation that rejects God's law as its standard will die. And what we find from Proverbs chapter 8, verses 35 and 36 is this very simple principle that God rewards those who find wisdom and curses those who reject it. We'll see this in two points. It's a little different than I have in your bulletin, but it will still work. First, those who find wisdom are rewarded. Those who love life love wisdom. Those who find wisdom are rewarded. Those who reject wisdom are cursed. Notice, first of all, as we find in verse 35, that those who find wisdom are rewarded. And I think, look at the text with me. Um, Verse 35, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. If you're thinking in terms of the principles that that the Scriptures establish here, the first one that it teaches you is that wisdom has to be found. Wisdom has to be found. Now, if you, if you read Proverbs 1 all the way up to Proverbs chapter 8, you, you get this picture of, of wisdom is standing in the market square and she's crying out. It's not hidden anywhere. It's in plain sight saying, come to me and let me teach you. But um, you and I have to think of this as it's like a father who's restraining his son. Now, 
as a young man, you get to be 11, 12 years old, and suddenly it hits you that you, you know everything there is to know, and you need to tell everybody else what they need to know. This is what the first commandment uh, forbids, is that unscrupulous zeal. Um, some of us, we, we get to a theological position, you've learned something, and now you look down on everybody else who doesn't know it. But what the Bible reminds us is that you and I need to learn. One of the effects of the fall is our wisdom, that wisdom that Eve thought she was going to acquire by eating that fruit, actually went away and she was plunged into a moral and ethical foolishness. The fall has broken our ethics. What does that mean? It means that if left to ourselves to determine right from wrong, we are really going to mess it up. Our morals, our judgment is foolish. You and I will justify things that we shouldn't and we'll reject things that are righteous. And so, as we think about this, we have to acknowledge that our values and our ethics are broken. I don't, in other words, just to stand back and say, apart from the work of the Lord and, and studying His Word and being faithful, I don't have a good, my compass is skewed. I think I'm traveling north, but I'm actually headed northeast. You have to find wisdom. Search for it. Acknowledging that you need to be taught godly wisdom. We have to apply ourselves to it. And the passage teaches, teaches us that wisdom finders are rewarded in two ways. Wisdom finders are rewarded in two ways. One, they find life. That sounds good. That sounds real good. When he speaks of life... He means it in both the physical and the spiritual sense. He means it in both the physical and the spiritual sense. In Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 2, think about this. Length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, you can think of that in really simple terms that, that the, the harder you press against the law of God, the farther you flee from it, the, the more likely you are to bring a quick death to yourself. If you live in a just society, for instance, and you go and kill a man, well, what's going to happen? Your life will be forfeit. But when you live in accordance with God's law, your days are lengthened. Consider also that godly wisdom enables a man to make decisions that honor the Lord. You're going to reject bad company because the, the, the wisdom of the Lord tells you that don't fall into them, in with them because they set a net for their own lives. You reject bad company. The Proverbs remind us that sound sleep and protection from care, from fear, comes from uh, heeding God's wisdom. Think about this in, in Proverbs. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. 
If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do you see what the Scriptures say is there are physical benefits that come from heeding God's wisdom. Why? Because the soul and the body are intricately connected. But we also receive spiritual life. Proverbs 3, verses 21 to 22. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul. And adornment for your neck. What the proverb is calling you to do is is take your Bible reading plan and as you're reading your Bible, meditating on it, taking it in, what is it calling me to think about God? And what is it telling me to do with my life? And I'm repeating these things to myself and it breathes life to my soul. In Proverbs 4, verses 21 to 23, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Do you find yourself despairing? Struggling? What is the counsel from the Word? Apply yourself to the wisdom of God. To do so is like going to the cistern and drawing out the water of life. Jesus said, if you knew who it was who offered you water, you would ask of Him and He would give you living water. Wisdom finders obtain life, physically and spiritually. Wisdom finders also obtain Jehovah's favor. I think this one is probably a little bit of a, a challenge for us because we think we're, we're, we're so trained to think in the terms of God's grace. I'm, I'm not to think of obtaining anything from the Lord, not to think of Him as a rewarder per se, but, but I only think of myself as reconciled to Him in terms of the grace that He's given me through Christ, and that's correct. But there's also all of these commands to those who are in covenant with God that you walk faithfully in that covenant. And the the more you are faithful to the Lord, the more He blesses you. That's not opposed to grace. And we'll notice how as we think about this. But wisdom finders obtain Jehovah's favor. What, What does the godly man or woman want more than the smile of God? That's what favor means. That you please Him. That His pleasure is in you. What more does a godly man or woman want than to know that God is pleased with him? Here he teaches us that his pleasure or his favor is on those who please him. First, it pleases God when you walk according to his commandments. 
It pleases Him when you walk according to His commandments. When you take them in, you think about them, you you take it like the scroll and you eat it and you digest it and you bring out the fruit of it. Psalm 147, verses 10 to 11. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor His pleasure in the legs of a man. God's not watching NFL football. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. And those who hope in His steadfast love. God's pleasure in those who fear Him. Whose hope is in His steadfast love. Now, this is demonstrated in a powerful way in the baptism of our Lord. You think about that moment when when Christ is walking up out of the water with John the Baptist. And there in in that moment, the heavens are are rent open according to Mark's Gospel. And, And this voice comes out saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that's that's not God the Father saying, I was really hoping for a boy. Yes. Why is His pleasure resting upon the incarnate God Word, the the God-man, Jesus Christ? Why does He say, I am well pleased? And He does it two times. Because this His Son fears God perfectly. There is no unrighteousness in Him. His faith is perfectly upon His Father. So that when the devil takes Him and tempts Him three times, why does Jesus so easily resist Him? Because He loves His Father perfectly. And He is a righteous and a just man. And therefore, God says of Him, I am well pleased in Him. And the same is true for all of those who walk with Christ faithfully. This is why all of the apostles say to you, now walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as an aspect of your sanctification. God marks out His Son as one perfectly righteous in His sight. And now through Christ, who perfects all of your obedience, all of the deficiency in your obedience, the favor of God shines upon you and He rewards you for your obedience through Christ by giving you what? Spiritual life. Physical life. But there's a second sense of this. It demonstrates that God has shown you favor when you pursue wisdom and obedience to His law. In Proverbs 18.22 we read, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So all you wives can go home and say, I am your blessing from the Lord. You're welcome. But you see what he's saying there in Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's not as though you you find a wife and then you hold her up and you say, Lord, now will you be pleased with me? No, you see what the Proverbs, what, what Solomon is writing there is he's saying, if you find a wife, that is an evidence of God's favor toward you. I think as you back up then and you come back to Proverbs 8, what is he saying? He who finds me finds life and obtains favor with the Lord. What he's saying is if you find wisdom, if if your heart is inclined to the Word of God, to live it, to obey it, that is an evidence of God's work in your life. 
He has favored you by giving you His Spirit so that you might pursue wisdom and reject foolishness. In other words, here it is, God Himself is the root and the fruit of this life of obedience and the pursuit of wisdom. Even even the desire for godly wisdom comes from God. And He takes pleasure in you for obtaining it. So here's the sense then. When He blesses you for your pursuit of wisdom, as the Reformers would say, He is crowning His mercy in your life. Pursue it. Pursue the favor of God. Secondly, we find that Those who reject wisdom are cursed. Those who find wisdom are blessed. They obtain God's favor. But those who reject wisdom are cursed. Now, one of the things that we find in in the Bible is is life life is not a six-lane highway. It's a two-lane road. It's It's simple. There are two roads, two paths. Even Jesus speaks of this. In Deuteronomy 30, we we read it as, as, see, I have set before you today life and death. Um, Joshua would say it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The only other option is not to serve the Lord. Um, Jesus would say, Talk about the two paths. There's the narrow road and the broad road. But there are only two, do you see? And one of the great deceptions of our day is, especially from the humanists, who have convinced you that, oh, wait a second. This is, this, we've got to think more. You're, you're thinking a too strict of, of, a, of a sense here. There's actually, if you look at it, there's this whole median that you and I can live in together. All I'm asking you to do is is in this median area here, let's pretend like life is neutral. When it comes to government, for instance, don't insist that we need to rule according to God's law. That can be the neutral area. There's not a neutral. This This is a sham. To convince you that God doesn't deserve to be in the public square. That's man's territory. But Scriptures teach us that those who reject wisdom, God's wisdom, are are cursed. Notice what it says in verse 36, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Those who fail to find wisdom injure themselves. They bring harm. This is the, this is the young son. Who, his father has told him, don't walk with those men. Walk according to my counsel. I am helping you here to obtain physical life and spiritual life. And especially he goes over and over and he says, you see that woman out there in the square and she's saying to you, I have a bed for you to come and lie in. Don't go. Because if you lay in her bed, you will end up in a crypt. All of her ways end in death. 
Those who fail to find wisdom injure themselves, and those who hate wisdom love death. Now, it doesn't mean this in the sense that there's uh, some sort of affection for death and dying, although we can see that, can't we? Certain elements of our, of, of our culture, the more wicked they are, the more they love death. They revel in death. There are, I don't encourage you to go and look for these things, but there, there are, there's music uh, committed to glorifying murder. There are men who revel in, in the movie that depicts gruesome death of other people. I remember being scarred when a friend of mine showed me a film called Faces of Death, and all it is are clips of people actually dying in real life. And there are seven volumes. There are men who love death. But what this is saying is that if you, if you reject the wisdom of God and the law of God and His ethical standards, then what you ultimately embrace is death. You, you cannot live in, in rebellion against Him and hope to bring about the life of an individual or of a family or, or of a community or of a state or a nation. We remember Christ's words in Matthew chapter 10 where he said, he who would find his life will lose it. But he who loses his life will find it. You should sit up and take note that most of the things Western society commends as moral and beautiful today bring death to their adherents. Think of this. Abortion and euthanasia delight in death. Homosexuality and feminism result in the death of communities and nations. Our culture loves sex and hates children. Think of that. Do you know that 50% of states have higher death rates than birth rates today? In 2021, according to the census, 70, think about this, 73% of U.S. counties saw a natural decrease in population. That's not people moving away. That means that more people are dying than being born in 73% of U.S. counties. And many states, many states are seeing having 80 to 100% of their counties that have more births than deaths. Why is that? In the state of Alabama, 100% of counties had more deaths than births. Every state in the South, now the census includes the District of Columbia, which I find offensive in the South, but every state in the South had more births than deaths, had more deaths than births. Why? In general, there's a hatred for children. Children and childbearing are seen as inhibitors to life and prosperity. Every successive generation becomes more and more self-centered. Yet what is God's first command to humanity? 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. What are we saying? We're saying that an abandonment of God's wisdom cannot and will not sustain life. It will not sustain a culture. The culture, the nation, the state, the community, the family, the individual that abandons God's standard and His wisdom will die. Humanism cannot deliver on its promise. This is the 15th tenet. We assert that humanism will A, affirm life rather than deny it. False. B, seek to elicit the possibilities of life, not flee from them. False. And to endeavor to establish the conditions of a satisfactory life for all, not merely for the few. In Psalm 1, the Proverbs, as in Psalm 1, the Proverbs present us with two paths. According to one author, neglect or impugn the counsel of Psalm 1. And you take a ride on the wind as flakes of chaff to be blown away. The one that feeds upon God's law is a tree with deep roots. And this determines destiny as much as the water supply described. For because they had no root, they withered away. Matthew 13. The godly tree of Psalm 1 is planted by rivers of water and suffers no drought or dryness so long as it remains so planted. Let me give you just... Briefly here in conclusion, a comfort and a challenge. One, a comfort. All who are in Christ will be preserved from God's judgment, both temporal and eternal. Remember, Psalm 91 reminds us that even though you look and you see the wicked brought down, he says you will only see this judgment. So take heart. All who are in Christ will be preserved. But here's a challenge. My dad was born in 1943. I want you to think about that. 1943, what was going on? We were in the middle of a world war. And I think about that. And my grandfather and my grandmother said, what are we going to do in the middle of a world catastrophe? Let's have a kid. If you are in Christ, you ought to know that the world is yours. It's your inheritance. And just as my grandparents did in 1943, we express our optimism by bringing life into this world and raising it to love and honor Christ. And that's a challenge. Don't lose heart. You will only see this judgment. Now, more than ever, we need godly men to stand up and call for repentance. To proclaim the one true way of Christ. Godly men to for the glory of Christ, call their families to covenant faithfulness. I think for far too many of us, our sole ambition is, I want to make it to retirement. But don't you know that in Christ you are more than a conqueror? Stand up. Build. Show the world your hope. 
that the world belongs to your king. Do something. Otherwise, we must ask, has the salt lost its saltiness? Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we are so thankful that we live in the world that is built by your hands. You determine all of its rules and its history. Lord, everything works out according to the providence that you wisely orchestrate and indeed decreed from before the foundation of the world. We confess to you, Father, that we are we're so apt to give in and to, to back off, to give the world over to the certain death that it will inherit through rejection of your wisdom. But, O oh Lord, through Christ, you've called us to be salt and light in this world. And we ask that you would help us to be faithful in that first by, by mining your word for its wisdom. Sanctify us, we pray, for the glory of Christ, and then enable us to be that preserving factor in our community, in our families. We ask that you would work this in us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.